Hey, welcome to Access. John here. To everyone who's been wondering, why am I not able to see all the sermons? I just want to explain that the problem is not with your internet connection or your church app. The problem is with me. You don't have all the sermons because I haven't been recording them all. Recently, my wife and I purchased not one, but two homes in Goliad, Texas, and neither of them were livable, at least not up to our standards. So I've been working tirelessly and spending most of our time over there fixing up these homes so that we can move in as soon as possible. And this has prevented me from having the time to record and upload my sermons. And while I do feel guilty that I haven't been as consistent as I've usually been with my sermons, I do feel like this is a great teaching moment to anyone and everyone who is looking forward to these lessons and has found themselves disappointed. You don't need me to study the Word of God. And although I do understand that sometimes we attach ourselves to leaders and teachers of the Word of God and draw so much out of their messages, you don't need me for faith. So if you're waiting on these messages to be uploaded, I regret to inform you you're going to be waiting for quite some time because I'm not going to go back and fill in the gaps. That's all behind me. That's something you could easily do with God's help. Remember, it's not my job to teach you all truth in Scripture. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's my job to offend you just enough that you study the Bible for yourself. So sorry, and you're welcome. If you're ready to begin today's study, then turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, because this message is entitled, Sheep and Goats. As you're probably aware, we've been studying the book of Hebrews, and you may be wondering, why are we in the book of Matthew if we're studying Hebrews? That's a good question. What I'd like to do at the first of every month is I'd like to really just try to keep one foot in the gospel, Um, and as we're studying the book of Hebrews, the first Sunday of the month, we study a parable of Christ. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning, is we're going to be studying a parable of Christ, and then we're going to go back to Hebrews next week. Now, you've likely heard that there are two types of people. Um, The world is full of examples of how there are only two types of people. You know, there are only two types of people out there. For example, people say, you know, there's only two types of people, the haves and the have-nots. And, you know, that would be fine. Maybe they're right. Maybe there are only the haves and have-nots. The problem is, is that there's a lot of different examples of how there's only two people. Um, for example, you've got, there are introverts and extroverts. There are morning people and night people. You've got dreamers and realists. You've got the good and the bad. You've got the smart and the stupid, the wise and the foolish. You've got the Dallas Cowboy fans, and then you have everybody else. Now, it just goes on and on and on. And the fact that we come up with so many different categories of people really should challenge us to put our categorization, can we say that word, categorization, blah, can't say that word, categorization blah, of people aside. We should really stop doing that and conclude that we are complicated. We're diverse. You know, there cannot just be two kinds of people. We don't have the right to put people in boxes and say that's all there is. Because if we're going to keep saying that, we really probably should be paying attention to how, how there's more than just two kinds of people, right? Well, the problem is, is that Jesus himself categorized people in two categories. He said there's only two types of people, sheep and goats. And what I've learned about Jesus' categorization of people over the years is that his categorization is the only one that matters. What does it matter if I stay up? I'd rather stay up to 5 a.m. than get up at 5 a.m. I mean, what does it really matter if I'm more comfortable alone than in a crowd or that I prefer chocolate over vanilla? Uh, I think in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter if you have or if you don't have or if you have a dream or you're more closer to earth than other people. I think um, the only thing that really matters is where you spend eternity. And what determines that, according to Christ, is whether you're a sheep 
or whether you're a goat. Whether you're a sheep or whether you're a goat determines where you're going to be spending all of eternity. So before we jump into this passage, every time I begin this conversation about sheep and goats, I'm reminded of a lady at church camp one year. Um, I had the responsibility of leading a small group discussion for uh, my small group of kids that I was ministering to. And I remember asking them as we were talking about this, I asked them, are you a sheep or are you a goat? Something I need you to think about. And uh, this lady who was in the group with me, she responded, um, can I be like a rooster or something? Does it have to be a sheep or a goat? Now, it made me laugh when she asked it, but I immediately knew what she was really asking. You see, she didn't feel like she fit in anywhere. And if sheep are God's people and goats are the worldly people and you don't feel like you fit in with either, what does that make you? I mean, are there really just two kinds of people, Jesus? Well, according to Jesus, you are either a sheep or a goat. Now, you might be a lost sheep, but even if you're a lost sheep, you're still a sheep. You just haven't come to know the master's care yet. So that might be why you feel a little lift out. Maybe, maybe it has everything to do with pride. You just don't want to belong to one of those groups. Before we get into this passage, I'd also like to note that many people have misunderstood what Jesus said in this passage and have arrived at a very dangerous conclusion about the role of the sheep in the world. It is critically important that we understand exactly what Jesus meant when he shared this parable, or we too might end up with false doctrine. And with that being said, let's get into this passage of Scripture And we will pray that God gives us discernment on what this is supposed to mean for us. Let's read Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. It says, But when the Son of Man comes into his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. As a a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of these least of these, you did not do it to me. 
These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, as we study your word, we ask that your word would study us. That you would look into our hearts that you might see maybe that part of us that is ugly, that needs desperate healing. And God, I just ask that you would speak to us. That you would show us the importance of this parable. But Father, please do not let us get misled. Please, God, correct maybe something that we have believed for a long time about you and about ourselves. Help us to see the importance of these words and let us be doers of the word and not just hearers. We love you, Father. We thank you for this opportunity and ask that you would guide and direct us in all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one thing to note about this passage is that Jesus gives a clear direction on who he is in this future event of judgment. He puts himself in the king's role, which is where he belongs. He says, when the king of glory comes and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and stand as judge, jury, and executioner over all creation, over all nations. Jesus isn't concerned with people who might say, well, what gives him the right to judge the world? Because as, as we've studied so far in the book of John and the book of Hebrews, everything that has been made has been made by and through Christ. Thus, everything belongs to him to use as he sees fit. John chapter 5, verse 22 says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. So Jesus is the one who gets to judge. He's the one who gets to separate the sheep from the goats. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, 18, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus presides as the good judge over all of creation, and he and only he has the right to discern who is a goat and who is a sheep and then pass judgment. Now, as I mentioned, however, many people read this passage and they misinterpret the purpose of this gospel, of, the, of, this, of this parable. They, they, they try to make scripture out to say something that it doesn't, or they, maybe they misunderstand. Maybe it's an honest mistake, but it leads down a very dangerous path. And you, you might have been exposed to something that I'm referring to. It's, it's referred to as the social gospel. Essentially, the social gospel is the belief that the church must care for the physical needs of the poor, and if it doesn't, then we cannot call ourselves the church. While no one would argue that we shouldn't preach the gospel to the poor and needy, this gospel, when it's, when it's taken to its extreme and it's forced to choose between a person who is poor and needy and caring for their physical needs or delivering to them the spiritual needs of the gospel, then their physical needs are more important. Oh, might not sound all that bad. There is a reason why it's dangerous to neglect the spiritual aspect and pour ourselves and focus on the physical aspect. Timothy Keller, author and pastor, pastors, he's one of the leaders of this movement. And he wrote a book called Generous Justice, in which he states that the church has a responsibility to bring justice to the needy. 
justice, okay? So stick with me here. In an article in Christianity Today, he said, it's biblical that we owe the poor as much of our money as we can possibly give away. Did you catch what he said? He said, it's biblical that we owe the poor as much money as we can give away. That when we give them our money, that's justice. And while there is some truth into what he has to say about Christian generosity, what he's talking about here isn't justice. For a person who doesn't have and or doesn't work, I who worked and earned a wage, I owe them as much money as I can possibly give away? That's not justice, that's injustice. Men and women in the social justice movement have gotten this idea from the very passage in which we are studying today, the parable of the sheep and the goats. But the only problem is that they have mistranslated Jesus and will inevitably arrive at a works-based salvation. That's the only place that road leads. When we study this passage, it's easy to take this out of context. For Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, the sheep to his right, the goats to his left, and to the sheep he says, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We're going to come back to that in just a second. But he says to them, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And many people have concluded that the only difference here between the sheep and the goats is what they did or didn't do. They promote the idea that the sheep feed the hungry, give the drink to the thirsty. They give uh, you know strangers uh, a place to stay. They give clothes to the naked. They visit the sick and those who are in prison. They conclude that we, when we do this for the sick and the needy, that we're doing it to Christ. We're doing it for Christ. And we say, well, isn't that what it says? Well, hang on. By the way, this was Mother Teresa's own stance whenever she was asked why she was such a generous woman. Uh, She served the poor her whole life. And uh, when asked why, she responded that when she serves the poor, she's really serving Christ. So she doesn't do it for them. She does it for him. And you know what? That's not an unhealthy way to look at things. And although I wouldn't dare to argue that Mother Teresa wasn't a godly woman, that's not biblically accurate, what she said. That when we give to the poor, that we're giving it to Christ. Picture the scene here. The sheep are there separated from the goats, and Jesus says to the sheep, I was hungry, you fed me, thirsty, you gave me something to drink, etc. And a murmur begins to lift over the sheep because now they're turning to one another and asking, Hey, hey, uh, buddy, did you do that? Because I didn't do that. I mean, am I on the right side here? Who's he talking about? Is is he talking about you? Because he's not talking about me. And so the sheep ask him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you? Uh, and, 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 you know, we give you something to drink. When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Notice the king doesn't answer to them. When you did it to the least of these, you also did it unto me. Look at what he says. He says, when you did it to one of these brothers of mine. Even the least of them, you did it to me. So what's the difference? 
let me let me explain. The call to social justice distracts the church from the original purpose. Uh, you know, their their God given mission. It just distracts us. We're not called to bring wealth to the poor or visit everyone in prison or to feed the hungry. We are called to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that he has commanded us. That's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We, we are commanded to carry the gospel out into the world. We are not called to just take care of the poor all the time. We're called to make disciples. That is our mission. Not to bring physical needs to the needy. Jesus said to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now the question is, who are the brothers of Jesus? Many people have said, well, you know, we're all God's children, so when we help those who need help, we're ministering to the brothers of Jesus. But that just isn't biblical either. Earlier in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, while Jesus is teaching, someone comes to him and says, Behold, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. And Jesus turns to the guy and says, and he says, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? That's pretty good, right? We're asking the exact same question that Jesus asked. Who are the brothers of Jesus? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' brothers are those who do the will of God. Any person who argues that every person is a child of God and that we're all brothers and sisters to Jesus doesn't know what Scripture says. They show that they don't have a correct understanding of the doctrine of the church. Ephesians 1.5 says, In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to all the kind intention of his will. So who are his children? Those who come to him in faith in Christ have been adopted into the family, which means that those who do not come to faith in Christ are not a part of the family. And we have to be careful here that we don't just go out and minister to everyone and think that we have a responsibility to take care of all of the poor. Jesus said when you did it to the least of these brothers of mine. It's not when we minister to all the poor that we do it to Christ. It's when we minister to the brothers and sisters and mothers. It's when we call, we're call called to minister to the church that we minister to Christ. And listen, this works in just the opposite way. Notice Jesus tells the goats just the opposite, that he was hungry and wasn't fed, thirsty and wasn't given drink, etc. The goats become indignant because they refuse to believe that they ever saw him in need and didn't help him. I mean, Jesus, I was pretty busy helping all these poor people. There's another way, uh, another uh, gospel that looks at this. I believe it's in the, in the book of Luke where they say, didn't we cast out demons and prophesy in your name? Didn't we do all kinds of stuff for you? 
And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. And so in this passage, he just dismisses them to eternal punishment. He doesn't even answer their question. Like, when did we see you hungry and not give you something to eat? I mean, when? When did this happen? Do you remember when Saul was hunting down Christians and putting them in prison and sentencing them to death for being followers of the way? Jesus met him on the roads of Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and asked him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So it works both ways. The way that you treat the church is how you treat Christ. How you treat the body of Christ is how you treat Christ himself. Now, please do not misunderstand me. There's a place for compassion and generosity in the life of a believer because, honestly, we don't have a right to say whether someone is a sheep or a goat. We don't really know whether that's a goat or a lost sheep. So we have a responsibility, yes, to take care of the needy. Show compassion on those who desperately need it. We just can't say that this parable is saying that unless we join the banner of the social gospel and go out and end poverty, that we are not one of his. There are two things that are equally disturbing about this line of thinking. The first is is that we have to recognize in the realm of social justice, there are atheists and Buddhists and Muslims and Jews and Christians all ministering to the needs of the poor. That is not the criteria for being a follower of Christ, that we're out there taking care of the poor because there's people of all different religions that do not call Christ Lord that are out doing that. The second thing that is disturbing about this is that when we promote that a believer has to minister to the poor, we don't realize it at a time, but we preach a gospel that is false. We don't, we don't affirm that we are believers and that look at all of our works. We're not going to have our, our salvation taken away from us if we don't do this, which is what social gospel reformers are saying. We are not saved by works How could we keep our salvation by works? We can't look at this passage and say, well, if you want to be a sheep, then you have to do what a sheep does. No! This passage is showing that a sheep does what a sheep does because they are a sheep. And while that might might sound like I'm splitting hairs, I can assure you there is a vast difference between the two lines of thinking. That unless I do these things, I'm not a sheep. And because I'm a sheep, I'm going to do these things. There's a big difference between the two. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. We've been given grace. We are saved by the grace of God and only by the grace of God. But don't neglect the next verse. Ephesians 2.10, which says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, which he prepared uh, to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. We're not saved by works. We're saved to do works. And people say, well, that's exactly what I'm saying about the poor. But no, this is not what Jesus is talking about in this parable. Let's go back and look at verse 34 again. Says, then the king will say to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What this is saying is that God knew who his sheep were before the foundation of the world, and he chose them as sheep. And whenever he did that, the sheep will operate the way the sheep operate. Sheep are blessed. And if you take a little a look a little later on, you see that goats are cursed. Now, please, I, I understand. I, I can identify perfectly with those who get offended anytime I or anyone else start talking about the doctrine of predestination, that I didn't choose God, God chose me, which means that he didn't choose someone else, and that just doesn't fit my theology about God. You know, the first time that I was exposed to this kind of teaching, it offended me terribly too. And I'm like, I just don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You know what happened? I got so offended by it. I said, you know what? That's not what the Bible says. And they asked me, well, have you read the whole Bible? And I said, well, no. And they said, you might want to. And like, fine, I will read the whole Bible. As I was studying God's word, reading the whole Bible, I understood perfectly. You know what? Predestination is true. God revealed that to me. I know where the offense comes from. What makes you think you are a sheep and anyone else is a goat? How dare you act like God loves you more? Please understand, the doctrine of predestination doesn't suggest that there is anything in ourselves that makes us a sheep or goat. Looking at my life, I can't think of a single reason why God would ever choose to have mercy and grace and compassion upon me. I am so undeserving of his grace, it's sickening. However, that is what grace is, it's undeserved. So instead of asking the question, why doesn't God save everyone? We should really be asking the question, why does God choose to save anyone? Scripture tells us that he issues out grace on us for his good pleasure, not because we are deserving. And just because he does it for one doesn't mean he has to do it for others. I don't have it all figured out, but I believe that we are predestined be conformed in the image of his son because that's what scripture tells us the sheep who are predestined as sheep they do what the sheep do because they are sheep because they are blessed because they are chosen before the foundation of the world and this passage is a call for believers to minister to and care for the church so just for a second let's address the question why do I have to go to church to belong to Christ? Many people have been hurt by the church. They refuse to be a part of the church service, believing that they are just as saved as the people inside the church building. And before we get all twisted up again, please understand that I also know what it's like to want nothing to do with the church. Because I grew up in church. I grew up offended seemed like every time I went to church, I was getting hurt or offended by some pompous, pious, better-than-thou who seemed to love nothing more than to religiously offend and act like they were better than everybody else. And I just got disgusted with it. 
I got disgusted with the whole Christian religion. However, my problem was in my understanding of the church. You don't go to church. The sheep are the church. When Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, the Greek term was ekklesia, which means gathering or following. The church is not a place or a time. It is the body of Christ. The church service isn't the church. The followers of Christ are the church. Going to church doesn't save us. However, if we are his gathering, I have to ask you, where does the body of Christ gather? It could be under a tree or a catacomb or in a building or on a plane or on a train. It could be anywhere. Jesus said, wherever two or three gather in my name, there I am with them also. Jesus is talking specifically in today's passage about caring for and ministering to the body of Christ, ministering to the church, that we take care of one another, knowing how we care for one another, we also care for Christ. I say, well, I hate the church. You know what the Apostle John said in 1 John 4.20? He says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. You cannot say you love God and in turn hate the sheep. You might hate the church service. You might be bored to tears during the church service. But the church service is not the church. The church service is a church service. But you have to think about it. Where does the gathering gather? For several years, the deacons and I have gone around and around on the subject of benevolence. Not that we disagreed, but just we were trying to articulate where our responsibility laid as followers of Christ in the world. I mean, we believe that we should be generous and have compassion upon those who need help. However, we came to a unified conclusion regarding all the people who kept asking for their light bills and their grocery bills and their water bills to be paid. We don't believe that it is our mission to pay their bills. And there's a vast difference between being generous to someone out of compassion and feeling obligated to show compassion to someone or lose our salvation. Somebody in one of our meetings asked the question, I don't remember who it was, but one of us asked, in the years that we've done this, how many people that we have personally paid their bills have we personally led to Christ? And you know, we couldn't think of a single person. However, when we start talking about discipleship and preaching the gospel, several names came to mind. You see, Jesus didn't put us on this earth to care for every sick and needy person's physical need. Judas was upset that Mary poured out pure nard at his feet, and he argued, you know, that money could that could have been sold, the money given to the poor. And Jesus responded, you know what? You're always going to have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What was he telling him? You don't care for the church. You don't care for Mary. She's your sister. Well, not your sister, Judas. <laughs> you see, he put us here to make disciples. He put us here to find our place to serve in the body of Christ.
He put us here to care for each other, and as ugly as this might sound, take care of the body. I know this might even sound callous or hard-hearted that, that I could say we don't have to care for all the poor. We should just care for the church. We should help the poor, but only when we feel led to by the Holy Spirit. Not when we have a sense of obligation from a misquoted, misunderstood parable from the Lord. The truth is, until a person comes to faith in Christ, they will always be poor, despite what they have or they don't have, because that's not what true wealth is all about. The sheep do what the sheep do because they are sheep. The works of the sheep aren't the root of their faith. The works are the fruit of their faith. So the question is, are you a sheep or are you a goat? And be careful here because I didn't ask you, is the person to your left or right a sheep or a goat? At times I've arrogantly said in my life, you know, I'm so tired of dealing with goats. For me, the sheep are all the people that I like and care about. and The goats are all the people I can't stand. And when people in the church anger me, the first thing that I do is categorize them as a goat in my mind. But you know what? We don't get to do this. I do not get to sit on the throne and determine who is a goat and who is a sheep. Only Christ gets to do that. So let me tell you, if you're feeling God's presence sit on you right now and you're feeling under conviction to turn away from the previous way of thinking about the church and turn to the body of Christ with forgiveness and love and compassion in your heart, let me tell you something. You are a sheep. God is placing you under conviction right now because he is disciplining you. Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves. You are loved by the Father. Thus, he's doing something kind of hard with you right now. He's telling you, you need to love the body. Rather than allow you to run away from the calling of fulfilling the one another's found in Scripture, God is calling you back to the pour out love on his body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 24 and 20 through 26 says, But God has so composed the body, bringing more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. If we are part of the body of Christ, we need to be a part of the body of Christ. You know, we we can get a bad taste in our mouth whenever we hear things like, yeah, I have to take care of all the poor. Let me ask you a question. Because this might, you might have gotten offended. You're like, John, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Let me ask you a question. If our focus becomes bringing physical needs, fulfilling physical needs to everybody in the world, what else would we have time to do? Jesus said you're always going to have the poor among you. Our focus cannot be fulfilling physical needs. It just can't. We can fulfill 
physical needs when the Holy Spirit tells us to. But we don't do so out of obligation to hold on to our salvation. Now, the sheep don't have to be told to give food to the hungry. The sheep don't have to be told to give something to drink to the thirsty. Because when the sheep see other sheep hurting, the sheep do what the sheep do. And if we're a part of the body of Christ, we really need to gather where the gathering gathers. Jesus taught when we care for the body, we care for Him. We have a responsibility to love one another. And before I I leave you, I, I want to leave you with something to chew on. If you are a sheep, but not a part of the gathering, and you were sick and hungry, and a stranger who needed to be taken in and ministered to or visited, How are others supposed to love Christ when you're not around? Just something to think about. Let me pray for you. Father God, we come to you now and we just thank you for this parable. We know, God, that we have this tremendous responsibility to care for the body. And Father, whenever we hear this command that we should be caring for the body, it really aggravates us. Because, Lord, we've been hurt. We've been treated badly. We've been mocked. We've been criticized. And what really makes us mad, God, is when the people who we think are goats... We have no right to say whether they are or they aren't. They start acting better than us. Whether they act like they're better than us, God, that really hurts us. Makes us feel inadequate. And maybe that's our pride talking. Lord, I ask that you help us forgive. That when we forgive, the sheep for doing something unsheep-like. It's not to say that a a godly person can't do ungodly things, God. Strike it from our mind to just begin categorizing people and say that there are only two types of people and they must be a goat. Only Jesus gets to say that, Lord. Help us to settle with that. Help us to wrestle with that and just love Love as you love. Forgive as you forgave. And to care as you cared. Father, give us strength to do this. And Father, if, if, if there's anyone listening right now who is staying as far away from the body as they can, one of yours, Father, a sheep, is lost. I know that, Father, sometimes Jesus leaves the 99 to find the one and to bring them back. So, God, that's what I ask for now. That you just bring them back. (laughs) Not to the service, 
but to the body. And Father, just give us all a place to belong. Help us to serve as you've called us to serve. And we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.